I'm Dash, father of two adopted daughters and two biological sons between the ages of 2 and 13. And I'm Swai. I'm a year and a half into parenting and it is way harder than I ever imagined. And you are now tuned into the sound of Imperfect Dads, a parenting podcast. We're hanging out on the internet to create a community that has empathy for and camaraderie with other imperfect parents. Trying to carve out a place where we can learn from other people how to be better parents. And where we can occasionally figure out how to be cooler parents. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where between episodes, we share resources to inform and encourage other parents. And give you the giggles. Giggles, guffaws, occasional chuckles. Hey, thanks for listening to episode three, where we will visit with Caitlin Matson-Levy, who's a professional mezzo-soprano, an instructor of voice and music, and a classical music coordinator and announcer for Radio Kansas. Now let's make like a choir director and get this thing singing. Bro, you know that nobody wants us to sing. Swai, good to chat with you today. Hey, it's always a pleasure, my man. I'm quite nervous about our episode. Why's that? This is the first time we've ever had a professional voice on the podcast, and I'm a little bit worried that it's going to accentuate our hackiness. Uh, in preparation for this, however, I have been practicing some more serious voices for the internet portion. Do you want to give me your opinion on which one you think would be better to go with? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, the first one I decided to go with authoritative, firm, and commanding respect. Okay, let's hear it. Welcome to the Imperfect Dads podcast. How's that? Uh, you know, I think there's nowhere to go but up from here. Ah, he was a good dad. So the other option was going to be something a little bit lighter, um, a little bit more Seinfeldian. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to the Imperfect Dads podcast. What do you think, A or B? Uh, I, I, can, you split the, can you split the difference there? No, you can't split the difference. It's, it's fave this is... for Darth retweet for Seinfeld. Those are the only two options. Yeah, what's the deal with these imperfect dads, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know, man. All right, well, let's think about it during the next segments and figure it out by the time we get to the interview. How's that sound? All right. Sweet. Have you felt like a perfect dad over the last couple of weeks since our last episode, or have you had uh, some glaring imperfections? You know, I'll be honest. I'm basically nailing this thing. But uh, I do have a yeah. It's been it's been a big time. Uh, I do have uh, maybe a question that you can help me out with though. Uh, so my little guy is like flying around now. He's not quite walking yet, but he has all of the technical ability, just none of the confidence to do so. Uh, but he can really move even when he's just down on all fours. So he's climbing all over things, opening doors, blah blah blah. Like I went to the bathroom and my kid had scooted all the way across the kitchen took all the dog food out of the dish and put it in the water bowl uh i went into the next room and he was already like on the third step climbing up the stairs so i just feel like i'm flying all over trying to like follow him around uh so i guess i'm just wrestling with the question of 
like how do you balance letting him explore without putting him in a box i mean literally like like where 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 do you find that balance well this is one of those times where i can give you advice that i myself have a hard time following which is to remember that it is important for toddlers to explore they've been stuck in like car seats and high chairs you just kind of sit them down and they can't move and now the whole world is out there what i find is there are a couple of things going on their ambition does not necessarily match their skill set so you do have to keep them safe from doing things like falling into the toilet or tumbling down the stairs yeah they also they're like the it's a tool for them to get attention there is a curiosity factor, I think, with like the dog food and the dog water. Pretty much every kid does that. Um, but then once they realize that, oh, you know, if I do this, then I get parental attention, their inclination is going to be to do that again. So the good news is that a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is normal stuff that all parents have to deal with. The hard thing is being patient because I don't think it makes like a ton of sense to try to punish a toddler for being curious of course what's the most dangerous thing he's tried to do so far i am fortunate to catch him before he gets into a whole lot of trouble but i mean he started opening doors so he like can sneak in even when i think i got him boxed out yeah you got to get some parent uh, i was gonna say parent proofing but you got to get some baby yeah. proofing measures on those things yeah yep the grossest thing that my oldest son did when he was a toddler was he, when he was mobile, there's a point where they get kind of like sneaky fast. They yeah. take a big jump in speed. So you kind of feel like you can know how long that you can turn your back on them. And then all of a sudden they just like get super, super speedy. And when he got speedy, he snuck into the bathroom one time. And when my wife walked in, he had put a little like washcloth in an unflushed toilet and was, was sucking on it. And so that was a really <laughs> um, awesome experience for a woman who's passionate about eradicating germs from the world. Yeah. Oh man. What about you this week? Uh, you had any imperfections in your parenting? Yeah. Good news. I didn't know this, but in the last episode I talked about an imperfection and now today we get to explore part two of that imperfection. I had talked about how we had to walk back our daughter's use of a social media site called TikTok that she had really liked because we realized that there just wasn't enough content moderation on there. Just this week, they announced that they got hit with a record fine for illegally collecting data on children. And so like if kids are under the age of 13, companies that, that are in the social media business, they're not supposed to like collect their names. They're not supposed to collect their email addresses or their location. And this company that was running this app, TikTok, they were doing all of these things. They got fined $5.7 million for doing all of this illegal stuff. And the only good thing for us as parents is that we realized for different reasons that the app was kind of bad news. And so we had pulled the plug pretty early on it, 
Um, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like this was an app that we had even studied some things about and researched and it seemed okay. When in hindsight, uh, it was, you know, one of the worst things that we had ever allowed our kids to do. So wow. the internet, man, it's a cold world out there, man. You aren't kidding. And the crazy thing is like, we're parents that kind of know where to go research wise to look this stuff up and, mm-hmm know the risks and still, um, you know, feel like we know how to sort of work around them and monitor our kids stuff. And we managed to have an epic fail. So I think first of all, like my advice is, you know, parents like pay attention to what your like kids are doing. Cause it could be worse if you don't pay attention. And secondly, um, if you mess up, know that there are a lot of us messing up and I think we can be solidarity for each other Mm, that's good stuff hey if you've got any uh experiences that you want to share where you felt the reality of your imperfections as a parent feel free to email us we'd love to hear your stories imperfectdads at gmail.com or you can hashtag imperfectdads on twitter also if you have any really great uh input on our questions we'd love to hear your advice Today's episode is brought to you by Dr. Baz and his Spring Split Snip Special. Hey dads, not sure you're ready for the snip snip? Dr. Baz understands your anxiety and has the perfect solution for you. Schedule your first snip now just in time to spend a couple of days on the couch recovering as March Madness is tipping off. You'll have the opportunity to test drive the procedure and work through any lingering uncertainties you might have. Then before you know it, getting that second snip won't seem like a big deal whatsoever. Dr. Baz will schedule you right before the bowl game of your favorite college football team, providing you with yet another legitimate sick day to (coughs) enjoy. You'll have the added flexibility of incremental billing, making full use of your deductible right before year end. So call Dr. Vaz now, where the sound of split snips is music to your ears. We love our kids. We know that it is also important for us to remember that parents have hobbies. Dash, what have you been up to? My dad distraction this week is something that dad distracted me from this podcast when I was doing some research. For some reason, a memory from my teenage years popped into my head. Have you ever heard of a hip hoppera? <laughs> no, it sounds like one of those made up uh, word mashes. Yes, MTV made it up, so it's not exactly Shakespearean, but back in the year 2001, they did a hip-hopera of the the very famous show, Carmen, and the person who starred in Carmen as the female lead was none other than a very young Beyonce Knowles, who at the time was head singer for a female group called Destiny's Child, so as you can imagine... It was an amazing display of vocal prowess. Um, who would you say your favorite rapper is, Swy? Uh, MC Hammer? MC Hammer. He was not in Carmen. 
a hip hopera. However, the cast did include Most Deaf, Wyclef Jean, Debrat, also Jermaine Dupree, and Lil Bow Wow, who at that time was a child rapper, Jermaine Dupree's nephew. And for reasons that I don't fully understand, his role in the movie was as a prisoner in an adult penitentiary. Also, one of the best female rappers of all time that most people haven't heard of, Ra Digga, who has spent a lot of times rapping with Busta Rhymes, and non-rapper Makai Pfeiffer of 8 Mile fame. What surprised me in hindsight was that MTV got all of these really talented people together, and that when they put them together, it was not a very good product overall. But... <laughs> You know, like you can still find it to watch it and take a, a brief walk down memory lane, though I don't suggest watching the whole thing. Then I got down the rabbit hole because what YouTube showed me after I watched a little bit of Carmen the Hip Hopera was an actual opera singer, a Nigerian American dude named Babatunde Akinbobie. And this guy's a baritone, and he has been in a ton of, of really awesome productions. He's been in Marriage of Figaro. Um, he's been in Into the Woods, The Ballad of Baby Doe, um, many other things. And he's a baritone, and one of the things that he did uh, over the last couple of months is do a couple of hip hopera songs. He takes songs um, that are from operas and then he sings them over hip hop beats. So I got to check him out and I got to see his website. You guys should check out his website too, babatundebaritone.com just to see how awesome of a dude he is and check him out on YouTube. If you just search a bullfighter's song, hip hopera, you'll find him there. What have you been up to since our last episode? Yeah, I've had, uh, I've, well, for a long time, I've had an interest in wood burning, uh, but lately you could say it's been rekindled. Uh, I have been inspired by uh, the art that this guy, there's this guy named Ben Wildflower, and he makes uh, art with uh, linocut, which is like a relief cut on a piece of linoleum, and then it becomes like a print. Uh, and I thought it was pretty cool. He makes uh, like apocalyptic art and iconography uh, in a kind of reimagined way so in a spirit uh spirit of solidarity and similarity i've made a couple of pieces of art from symbols that i have found in old icons so one uh, i made that's called pelican and her piety so you could look that up if you want and one is an irish wild goose uh, but I'll, I'll include some notes and pics in the show notes but uh, mostly it's just an easy way to make stuff and you know like more or less you can trace and so uh, it's, it's like good creative stuff while you're also listening to a podcast or something, you know, you don't have to like, uh, spend like dedicated brain power to do it. Uh, to clarify, so, you have, is it like one of those wood or one of those like burning pens that then you use to burn the images into the wood? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's called like, uh, pyrography oh. is like, uh, the, uh, you know, technical term, but yeah, it's uh, you just get like a little pin and you plug it in and it gets really hot and then you could put different tips on it. So you get like different finishes. So you have some that are like really fine tips so you can, you know, make, make really narrow lines. There's other ones that you can, you know, do like big patterns or like, uh, 
teardrop shapes or big rounded things that uh, kind of burn a larger area. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff you can do. Are you freehand or are you do you trace? Uh, it depends. Usually, I I trace like the big outline, um, so it's the right shape, and then I I freehand like all of the all of the details. Very like the, cool. The so shading and whatnot. Now we know that you do woodworking, and we also know that you do wood burning, and I uh, can't wait to see what you're going to make for us for our next episode. Yeah, I uh, you know, spoiler alert, I also do uh, a, adult coloring books with some uh, watercolor crayons. So those are so, like R-rated coloring books? Yeah, it's basically like NSFW kind of stuff. No, oh, no, I'm just kidding. Adult, adult coloring books in that they're not like cartoons of Disney princesses or anything. It's like uh, mandalas and all sorts of, uh, you know, just different different designs that are a little more advanced than what you'd see at a third grade classroom. Very cool. Well, folks, we know that you guys have hobbies too. So if you have stuff that you want to share with us that you like to do when your kids are napping, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, hashtag DadStraction, and perhaps we'll share some of the best ones on the air. Our guest today is Caitlin Madsen-Levy. Caitlin received her undergraduate degree in music from Wichita State University, her master's in voice at the University of Missouri-Kansas City Conservatory of Music and Dance, and her postgraduate degree in opera from the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. In addition to performing around the United States as a classical vocalist, she has also been a professor of music at the college level, stage director, special events coordinator, church musician, accompanist, community theater producer, flautist, choir director, actress, and now is a public radio announcer. Caitlin, welcome in as the distinguished first non-dad to the Imperfect Dads podcast. I am honored. Thank you. We'll get you a jacket made. <laughs> the first non-dad. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> Caitlin, there are a lot of horrible to mediocre singers who think they're great. And there are a lot of really good <laughs> singers walking around that do it for free. And you are the rare person who gets paid to sing well. At what point did you decide to go all in on becoming a professional musician? Okay, so um, I always knew I was going to be a musician, always, um, for as long as I can remember. It's what I wanted to do. And it's kind of taken different forms and morphed. Um, when I was growing up, I was actually a flautist. And I started college as a flute major, a flute performance major. And I was, you know, going to play at Carnegie Hall. And, and I was really dedicated to it. I mean, I was, you know, I was seriously, like focused and it was my one track mind and I wanted to play the flute. Um, and then I got a scholarship to be a voice minor in college because of course I'd always sung as well. And uh, so I had always known I was going to go all in, but it wasn't until I was a freshman in college and um, I owe it all to this wonderful friend of mine. His name is Blaise, Blaise Pascal. Um, self-named, <laughs> <laughs> um, who kind of 
took me aside in the music library my first week of my freshman year and said, hey, Caitlin, you, you really need to, um, you need to audition for the operas. Everybody's doing it. And I did. And I just, it was like I was struck by lightning, the experience of singing with all of those incredible upperclassmen and the energy and the exchange of energy between the performers and the audience was just different than instrumental music. And I was just sold. So um, freshman year of college, I changed my major right away <laughs> to voice. Then at what point did you first consider yourself a professional musician instead of an aspiring professional musician? Mm. That's a really good question. Uh, I was being paid to sing for different things as early as maybe 19 or 20. Um, I had a church job. Um, I was paid to sing in the choir and sing a solo once a month. Um, that was my first steady singing gig. I mean, of course, it didn't really pay any bills. <laughs> you know, I was in college, so it paid for drinks, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, I would say when I got my first uh, apprenticeship, young artist apprenticeship, which is basically a paid internship with an opera company, and that was with Des Moines Metro Opera. And I was 21 um, the first time I did that. And that was kind of, even though I, I was still in college and I continued to be in college and study for years after, that was when things started moving in that direction. And, uh, when I wasn't studying during the school year, I almost always had some sort of professional work in the summer. And that's kind of when it started. At this point, you've had a lot of different experiences in music and like a lot of parents, having kids sometimes dictates um, shifts or turns in our career path. Mm -hmm. What were some of the shifts or turns that you had as kids continued to enter the picture in your life? Um, you know, it was such a struggle. I think, I think anybody who's in any kind of creative field, um, the creative arts, um, feels this kind of internal struggle once they become a parent. Because, I mean, you guys know, you become a parent and that's it. And it's all you really want to be in that moment. And then they get a bit older and you, and you start to think about the what ifs and the oh, I should haves and the was it right to stop doing this? You know, I mean, I think that this is a really common theme, um, maybe more so for mothers than it is for fathers. Although I imagine that things are shifting in today's day and age as well in terms of um, uh, mothers and fathers. And, and, you know, you feel like there's, you have to choose. All right. So when Shepard was born, I didn't know that I wanted to be a mom. I was never going to be a mom. I was always going to be a musician. That was going to be my life. It's what I was going to do. Um, and Shepard was this miraculous surprise. And, you know, I always say that he, I didn't know that I needed him, but he kind of saved me in so many ways. And one of the things that, that he did when he came into the world was just, um, you know, kind of forced me to wake up and realize that it's not all about me. <laughs> um, and so when he was born, uh, I no longer wanted to travel the world. I no longer had the desire really to, uh, 
perform full time because it it would mean being away from him. And you know, I have a lot of um, I have a lot of friends, several friends who are full time musicians, and they do live out of a suitcase, and they are parents. And uh, when their babies are young, their babies come with them. Um, when they're in, when their babies get older, their babies have to stay at home and go to school and they, they have decisions to make, you know? And, uh, so that shift happened when Shepard was born and, um, and it was, it took me several years to be at peace with it. And when I say several years, I mean, from the time Shepard was born until maybe two or three years after my twins were born. <laughs> so the span of like five years, it took for me to be okay with needing something different than I always thought I needed. And even in that time, you found something after Shepard was born and before the twins were born that you were enjoying, like it might not have been what your yes. dream was, but yes. like, at least there was like contentment there. How did you deal with another abrupt turn? <laughs> Not well. <laughs> Not well at all. <laughs> um, no. Uh, you know what? Looking back, I really, I have to applaud myself because I survived and um, my children are all okay. You know, like we're going to make it. We're, we're okay. <laughs> But um, the twins being born changed things again. And as you know, as you can imagine, in a really extreme way, like having twins is like extreme parenting. If parenting were a sport, having twins would, you know, or multiples would be like skydiving without a parachute or something. <laughs> <laughs> the X Games of parenting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I didn't deal with it well. Um. I knew when they came along that their survival and their health and loving them and protecting them was going to be the only job I had. And it was. When they were born, all other life stopped. And it stopped for a good oh, year at least. Um everything stopped. I stopped taking care of myself that well. Um, I never slept. It was a blur. I, I had to quit um, a job I loved, several jobs actually. I was the performing arts director <clears throat> of um, John Knox Village, which is this amazing, huge retirement community. And, and not the retirement community that's um, long-term care, more like these people are young. They're 65 and they move there to date and go on booze cruises. Like it was a vibrant community. <laughs> it was a lot of fun and I loved my job. I did that and I was also a director of music at a church that I really adored. And, you know, we had to, I had to quit those jobs and we, we packed up our life in the city and we moved back to where I grew up here in Sterling. And I don't know, it was pretty intense. I don't remember that much about the first year, especially. And I will say for people listening, like we've been kind of discussing how kids change our expectations or change our trajectories. I've seen you like with your kids and you are a super supportive mom for them. So it's not like oh. you're, you know, moping oh, around Kansas right now. It's such <laughs> a wonderful compliment. Thank you so much. Because I mean, you guys know, I mean, some days you're like, I don't even know. 
when they're babies, I feel like it's really easy to know the right way to love them, you know, cause they're babies, you know, you, you hold them all the time and you, you, you nurse them or you feed them when they cry and you sleep with them and you cuddle them close. I mean, and that's all there is. That's an interesting perspective because one of the things that I have said to my kids a lot when they're babies is, this is the reason God made you cute because (laughs) um, that's like the payoff for a lot of the other stuff sometimes. Yes, it certainly can be. All those, the poop everywhere and the sleepless nights and, and yes, yes. I think the sleep deprivation is... And Ben, you're kind of in the midst of it still, aren't you? A year and a half? Not yeah. even? Yeah. I mean, the sleep deprivation um, alone is is enough to just drive somebody mad. Yeah, there's no tired quite like a uh, newborn parent tired. No, like it's, 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 tor- it's almost torture. I mean, the lack of sleep. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was reading an article today that said parents are sleep deprived for the first seven years of their child's life, which (laughs) I know like as someone who's, um, two and a half years into a person's life right now, like pretty tired right now. So four and a half more to go till I'm feeling spry. Start that countdown. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. Your kids have stolen your whole prime. Yeah, no, well, really. I mean, our, our we're gonna you know, like one day our kids are going to be old enough where we can all sleep, and suddenly we're going to realize how old we are. I mean, what's it's not fair. <laughs> those will be those will be the glory days. Yes. <laughs> then we'll be old enough that we'll only need like seven hours of sleep anyway, and we'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning like uh, like our grandparents. You know. Yes, life is tricky that way. <laughs> <sighs> so, in the midst of all of this stuff and parenting. You still do perform. I do. What would be your top bucket list role that you've yet had the chance to play? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. That's such a good question. I I made the switch from a soprano to mezzo soprano, which happens. You know, voices change. Um, that women... happened to Bono. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> women is women especially as they like approach their 40s a lot of times their voices will um mature in such a way or change in such a way that they actually change vocal fach f a c h is is the word um and the, and that's um the category of voice type soprano mezzo soprano etc anyway so i am now a mezzo and as a mezzo i i have to say that i long to sing carmen that is probably right now a bucket list role. Okay. So I have a follow-up question that I didn't plan on asking, sure. but in doing some research for this, I got very distracted this past week by a memory that I had from my teenage years where MTV released what they called a hip hopera. Have ah. you by chance seen the, I believe it was late nineties MTV hip hopera version of Carmen. Hip hopera? I don't think I have. Would you like to guess who the lead female role was? In the nineties. Yes, late nineties. Woo. <laughs> I can't even guess. Late nineties other... no Madonna. <laughs> uh no. Know. Yes, Madonna the hip hop star. Um <laughs> none other than at that point in time the lead singer for Destiny's Child, a young Beyonce. Oh Beyonce. Yeah. 
Don't worry. Mm. It's going to be, we'll have the link to it in the show notes, but it's, uh, it's something in hindsight. I need to go see it then. So you now have a busy professional life that involves, you know, singing, teaching, radio hosting, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for other people who are trying to kind of like re reimagine their lives around their kids and and trying to re-engage, you know, things that they're talented in and passionate about? I think it's, I think one of the most important things is to understand that being successful at something so often, I'm talking like nine times out of 10 is going to look differently than you thought it would. Mm. And owning a craft, an art form, a vocation, being able to identify, I am a musician, I am an artist, I am a writer, as Christian is now a writer. Um, like, I think it's so important that we own that understanding that it does not mean that we're getting six figure paychecks and living out of a suitcase and living a glamorous life. Wait, you guys, Uh, you guys aren't? (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) What? When does that happen? But I think, I just think it's so important just to understand that. So at one point in time, I thought the end all be all was, oh, I'm going to sing at the Metropolitan Opera because that's what you do when you're a famous opera singer. Yeah, that's the top. Yeah, yeah, it it is, you know, and so you have this, you know, dream when you're in your 20s and out of college and working hard and pounding the pavement trying to get the jobs and, you know, fast forward 20 years, here I am and I'm 40 and uh, that never happened. Um, I never did sing at the Met. However, I wouldn't hesitate to call myself a musician, an artist. It just looks differently than it did before. It doesn't mean um, I'm not making high quality art. It doesn't mean I have failed in any way. And that message more, I think is incredibly important, especially to teach ARC students, college students, mm. young, young musicians, young artists out trying to make it happen. You know, I have an anecdote here. I have a friend who sings at the Met. Um, he probably has a contract at the Met Oh, for two shows a season on average. Um, and he'll go and he'll like understudy a lead role or he'll be um, what's called a compromario role, which is basically like a supporting role, a character tenor, a funny, you know, supporting role. And you know what he does when he's not singing at the Met? I love this story. When he is done singing at the Metropolitan Opera, he gets on a plane, he flies home to Minneapolis where his wife and three kids are, and he drives a UPS truck. Isn't that amazing? Wow, yeah. But nobody would ever say that he isn't successful. You know, you just have to make it up as you go along and define it for yourself, I think. Yeah, kind of redefining success. Mm -hmm. As you've now ventured into the realm of public radio, what is the most fun moment that you've had during pledge drive season? Oh my gosh. Um, pledge drive season is so much fun. I It's exhausting, but it's fun because, you know, 
absolutely nothing scripted. You're just talking, trying to keep your sanity and convince people to pick up a phone. Um, we get really loopy sometimes, especially if we're, you know, if we've been fundraising for, you know, 10, 11 days and, uh, you're there every day, you're on air for, you know, pitching on air for maybe three or four hours at a time. Um, there was one time, oh, there was one time we all started talking in accents, like really bad ones, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it didn't, and you know, we're just, we're just exhausted and we're just laughing together. Um, the moments like those I think are a lot of fun and, um, you know, we eat horrible food together. I mean, if you were to look at the break room during a public radio pledge drive, you would see like three cases of Pringles and 12 (laughs) bottles of Coke and cookies and a cake and somebody will bring in pizza and there's a steady stream of coffee. And I don't know, there's a, there's a, 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 a specific moment. It's hard to pinpoint because the entire experience really is something, um, almost unsustainable which is why they eventually end. <laughs> <laughs> I know not to mess with um, public media folks on Pledge Drive because I was watching this documentary one time where Homer Simpson called in a fake pledge and PBS sent all the Sesame Street characters to his house and the only way for him to get out of it was to seek asylum at his church and become a missionary. <laughs> so I, uh, I just try to be really nice to public radio and public TV people during that time of year. Cause I know it's difficult. Yeah. It's, it's intense. I mean, yeah, it's, it's an intense time. It's certainly not like the thing that you sign up for. Right. <clears throat> right. I mean, it, yeah, yes, it is. It's like, you know, that they do it. When I first started working at the station and first in radio, it's like, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew that eventually we'd have a fundraiser. Um, and I knew that I would have to be a part of it in some way, but I didn't really understand a, just how important it was and, or B just how all consuming it is during, during that time. Yeah. In your family life, you did not grow up Jewish. No, your husband is Jewish. And now you guys are balancing, um, kind of celebrating Jewish religious holidays and Jewish spirituality, as well as non-Jewish holidays. Mm -hmm. How much of that had been intentional from the beginning of, of your guys's marriage and parenting career? And how much of that have you just been kind of figuring out as you go along? When we got married, I still was very much entrenched in Christianity. I was um, the music director of a church or a church musician. I had worked in just about every denomination of Christianity um, as a church musician. I did not know that much about the Jewish faith until after Jason and I met. And Jason even didn't start uh, kind of reintroducing himself to his faith until a few years after we were married. So we grew into it for sure. And, you know, people are 
allowed to change. And I think sometimes we forget about that. I think we forget about that when it comes to our faith, that people's core beliefs and what people learn from experiencing life and meeting new people and traveling. I think it's so interesting how we expect our very young children to know right away because we tell them um, what they're going to believe and not expect it to change. So, you know, Jason and I met, well, I don't know. I think we've known each other 15 years now. Married 13. Shepard, our oldest, just turned nine. And we just started attending temple together as a family in the past year. Um, before that, our children had very little um, education, religious education at all. We were just kind of, well, also we had twin newborns. You know, things were really crazy there for a while. We couldn't really take anybody anywhere. It's and super course, worshipful um, to have twins and newborns in mm. very quiet rooms <laughs> full of people. Yeah, super. Yes, they have a lot to, they have a lot to say about it. Um, um, and certainly moving from a city where there might be more liberal congregations to the middle of Kansas, where on the whole, um, you know, uh, Christian denominations tend to be more conservative. Uh, I struggled moving back home because I needed something different than what was available. And so we had talked about where, where are we going to go as a family? Cause we very much wanted to go somewhere as a family and feel welcome, um, to, and start to introduce our children to faith and, and to, you know, their definition of what God is and, you know, those sorts of explorations. And the answer for us was Judaism. Um, so we've been attending a congregation, um, um, Emmanuel in Wichita, and it's tough for kids. I mean, we, we go to like a family-friendly service, but the family-friendly service is still in Hebrew most of the time. <laughs> and 90 um, minutes from your house. And it's 90 minutes from our house, but we dedicate ourselves to trying to go once a month. Um, and I personally... Um, have really loved exploring the Jewish faith and Judaism. And, you know, I think that the past few years especially have been a time for a lot of, a lot of people have started to not question. I think question is the wrong word because question, uh, you know, calls about uncertainty. It's not about uncertainty. I think it's about ex exploring um, different faiths, um, in trying to just figure it out, <laughs> you know, figuring it out as we go along. And I think that people need to be allowed to do that. Your husband is, I would say a passionate sports fan. You guys have soccer team bumper stickers on your car for a professional team. Mm -hmm. I would say like, you probably didn't grow up the biggest sports fan. Mm -mm. What has it been like for you to be an engaged sports mom, <laughs> even though that's not necessarily your natural wheelhouse. <laughs> it sure isn't. Um, <laughs> although I did have to wear my brother's Dallas Cowboys hand-me-downs. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, no, I was never um, in athletics. I was a cheerleader in junior high, which is as far as I got as being <laughs> in anything athletic. Um, let's, let's see. Well, you know, we kind of, I didn't even think about it. I didn't think twice about it. Um, Shepard, especially when he was, I mean, I shouldn't say especially because he still is quite enthusiastic and passionate about being involved in some kind of team sport. He loves team sports. He wants to be with his friends. He wants to run fast and he wants a chance to do well. And I think that's, it's important for us to encourage our children to find a physical activity to fall in love with and do what we can to help facilitate them taking part in it. Mm. And for Shepard, it was soccer. And so, you know, yeah, you have a kid and they want to do something and you want them to do it and you want to do what you can to make sure they get there and they have a great time and they learn and have fun and fail and don't get medals. And then maybe they do get a medal. And we've experienced so many huge emotions um, um, since joining team sports, but I think that it's all good. And I know nothing about it. I really don't like I'll be on the sidelines and I'll be really excited about something that's happening on the field. And I'm, but I'll just, I'll be the mom that's like yelling out the wrong words, <laughs> the wrong <laughs> terms, you know, terms associated with a completely different sport. <laughs> but, um, I, it just fills me with joy to see, to see him do that though. He's so happy, you know, and you just want him to be happy. So of course we're going to encourage that. Um, but yes, my husband, Jason loves sports has always kind of been involved. He used to kind of work in, um, the sports field and his father was, he worked in baseball. So it's kind of a family affair for Jason. Although Jason himself also didn't really latch onto a, a, a sport to play. Um, certainly there is an air of support and encouragement, um, involving sports. I don't know how that changes though, as they get older. Uh, I don't for right now he's nine. And so, yeah, of course you can go be in sports. Is it more stressful for you to watch your kids play sports or to watch them perform at a, at a concert? Um, the only, I, I don't think one is more stressful than the other, but I do get incredibly stressed out if I see that they are struggling and it takes everything in my power mm. <laughs> not to try to fix it. Uh, I think that sometimes you just, you know, you just got to let them struggle <laughs> and afterwards just give them a great big hug. In general, <laughs> we're losing some of our historical literacy and that's like with books and music, a number of different things. Mm -hmm. It used to be that, Looney Tunes would primarily have a classical music track and uh, at least kids could get, you know, like some form of music appreciation through that. What are ways that parents can encourage classical music literacy in their own homes in ways that won't drive their kids nuts? The main thing is exposure and we have at our fingertips the opportunity to listen to classical music 
anywhere we go at any time of day, and it's free. Now, of course, I'm going to say turn on your radio because that's my job, but there are services, you know, beyond that, which can, I mean, you can go on YouTube and type in classical music for kids, and you'll probably find 100 playlists um, carefully curated by a parent just like you. Um, And just having it on in the background makes a humongous difference. And also teaching um, them about respect for these art forms, um, all music, of course, Um, trying to teach them to acknowledge that here we have 12 different genres of music and you're not going to madly love every single one of them, but you have to respect every single one of them. I think that a lot of times, you know, kids are going to learn what their parents tell them and they're going to mirror what their parents say, you know, so if you have a parent walking around talking about how boring classical music is and, and how it's only for rich old white people, well, then you're going to have a child who grows up thinking that classical music isn't for them. When when the truth is, classical music is like as metal as it gets. It's like the original heavy metal. And there are things I can recommend for anybody who wants a recommendation, how to get my kids into classical music, or I want to get into classical music. I love country music, so what should I listen to? Or... I want to get into classical music, but I've only ever listened to R&B. I will tell you what you can listen to to help turn you onto it. But exposure, I think, and mirroring and showing respect for it is Mm. important. What's the best part of parenting twins? I feel like I was a part of something really special when I found out that I was going to have twins, even though I did nothing for it. Like I didn't try to have twins and I didn't work hard for them. It was a gift given to me, um, you know, or a mistake, but they were given to me. And I feel like... um, just the opportunity to be charged with loving these two tiny humans was pretty incredible. Um, you know, somebody will, somebody might say, oh, it's twice the love and twice the hugs. And yeah, sure, of course, it's all that. Um, but it's also immensely challenging in a lot of different ways. And just knowing that we're doing it like we're doing it they're five now and you know they're pretty good kids I mean they're excellent kids you know but I'm biased and uh, we're still alive and we're doing okay we're gonna make it and I that part for me is the best is just the feeling of accomplishment we did it yes yeah. Sometimes my <laughs> wife gets home at the end of the day and she'll be like, oh, what would you guys do today? And I'm like, you know, the, the kid is alive. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You, the you kid stay, is so alive. You're home with your son. So, you know, yeah. when you get home, yes, at the end of the day, sometimes the most amazing 
gift you can give yourself is just acknowledging the fact that you made it and everybody survived and everybody was loved and we'll try to put on pants tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's very, that was very much a part of it. That's, that's kind of how I dealt with it in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to remember that, you know, uh, we don't have to be productive to remember that we did put in a lot of work today. Right. Right. Because the work you're doing isn't going to show anywhere in the house. Yeah. You know, it's not going to, the work you do with your children isn't reflected in laundry or and it isn't reflected in, you know, whether or not the corners of your living room don't have dust bunnies. Mm. Um, that has nothing to do with what being a wonderful parent is. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And so, so I mean, if you've if you've lived your day, and how amazing for your son that he was with his dad all day long, mm. you know, laughing together and loving each other. And, oh, my gosh, sometimes I just wish we would all just realize that that's it. I mean, that's all it has to be. And, you know, we'll clean the house in a year. <laughs> yeah. When <laughs> when he's old enough to assign chores, that's what the house will be clean again. Yes. Once I win that lottery, yeah. hire those merry maids, <laughs> then the house will be clean enough for company again. <laughs> Man, isn't that the truth? Well, we are appreciative of the time that you've given us and sharing your experiences so candidly. If people want to hear more from you or find you various places, where should they look or listen? Okay. So I have to talk about Radio Kansas, which um, is where I work, and that website. And you can stream online. I mean, if you're in Chicago listening to this, you can go to radiokansas.net and you can go to a website that looks rather old. However, do not judge the website by its appearance because it's the the content is amazing. Radiokansas.net is our website. Um, if you're around the Sterling area, that's 90.1 KHCC. Um, and, uh, you know, my next big project in something that I've done now, this will be my fourth year with them and it's and it makes it it's my heart and soul i love this music festival it's called the ad astra music festival and we bring world-class classical music to the plains of kansas every summer and that website is ad astra music org. and I'm, I'm currently working on that i'm excited about that i'm giving a recital with a pianist who i um, admire tremendously and I'm super excited. Also involved with Opera Kansas, which is um, a really important opera company um, that focuses on outreach and education and it focuses on cultivating local talents in Kansas. Um, it isn't a company that's going to hire um, musicians outside of the state to come in. It uh, kind of works with the professional and amateur musicians in the area and they do good work. That's operakansas.org. Caitlin, thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with us tonight. This has been really helpful. So, Dash, what did we learn today? I learned that we have our gifts and our talents and our passions, 
And while those might need to be reimagined at various times throughout our lives due to other life circumstances, we'll always have opportunities to follow those things and find fulfillment in them if we keep an open mind. Yeah, I learned that it's important to recalibrate what success looks like after having kids. I was reading this book, and I think I mentioned it a couple episodes ago uh, for a book club, actually, called There Will Be No Miracles Here. And in it, one of the things that he talks about, he plays with this pairing of the words good and great. I think sometimes we hear those two words and get confused that good is the enemy of great because it's sometimes like, you know, good enough to not try harder. Uh, But hearing Caitlin talk reminded me that they really aren't in the same category, right? So, I mean, you can be great at what you do and achieve all your dreams, like singing in Carnegie Hall, but if you aren't good, like a good person, then then what's the point? So I think I've been kind of wrestling with that. Being a new independent podcast is fun, and we're working hard to get more attention from search engines and apps so more people hear us. If you like what we've been doing, you can help us out tremendously by going to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts and giving us a rating. Those ratings, as well as anything you share from our social media accounts, are how new listeners hear about our little pop-and-pop shop. Imperfect Dads was created by Ben Swihart and Christian DeShiel. Assuming our computers haven't been hacked by shadowy figures and dark web underlords, everything you heard on this episode was our doing. The one exception is the music. Shout out to The Passion Hi-Fi for all of the music on this episode. Head over to thepassionhifi.com to see the selection of beats and instrumentals he has available for free and for sale. Hey, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the flip. If you're wondering why pirates are such great singers, it's because they hit the high seas.